Well, good morning, everybody. Oh, what a wonderful welcome. Can we just thank the band for leading us so well this morning? Wow. I mean, it's Jesus' fault, but he used them, so uh, it's all good. Uh, so thankful for uh, the people who get to lead us uh, each and every week in worship. Uh, my name is Jamie, and I just want to welcome you. If you're, if you're new, if you're visiting, uh, if you're checking things out online, hello. Thank you for, for joining us. Uh, we're in a new series this week as we enter something called Holy Week. Um, sometimes I think we tend to think of the Easter season as like this long weekend that we get, uh, and we indulge in too much chocolate, and oh yeah, we also go to church and stuff. Um, but Easter, which the, the, the whole Holy Week starts today, and I believe that it goes even beyond that. It goes into every season of our life. Somehow, uh, the, the miracle and the event of Easter happens so that we can walk in every season of life. And I think that sometimes we think, well, Easter is exciting and it's new life and it's resurrection and that's awesome. And then that kind of wears off after a bit. But Easter is really about life forward. What, what does every season in our life look like post-Easter? And so for the next uh, four weeks and five services that we're going to be having, including Good Friday, um, we're going to talk about what it means to follow Jesus forward. What does the resurrection of Jesus have to do with how I see grief what does the resurrection of Jesus have to do with how I live a celebratory life? How does following Jesus, how does that affect uncertainty and skepticism? Well, we believe that the resurrection answers all of those questions. And so little by little, we're going to tackle what it means to live life going forward in a resurrection life. And so uh, before we continue today, I want to read a prophetic word to you from the book of Zechariah. This is, comes from Zechariah 9. This is what it says. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots of Ephraim, and the war horses of Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will pro proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from a waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now, I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your son Zion against your son's Greece and make you like a warrior's sword. Let's pray. Merciful God, as we enter Holy Week, we turn our hearts again to Jerusalem and to the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
stir up within us the gift of faith that we may not only praise him with our lips, but may follow him in the way of the cross. Forgive us for being people who sometimes in one moment shout Hosanna, and then when life gets confusing and hard, we're so quick to shout crucify him. And so as we open your word, teach us to celebrate what we advocate on this Palm Sunday. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm looking forward to this series, to what it means to live a resurrection life in every season, in every circumstance in our life. Um, guys, I got to share some bad news. And uh, bad news is never fun for anyone. But this week, I found out that I am a millennial. Now you laugh, but all this time I thought that I was a Gen Xer. But somewhere in the last few years, they decided to change the dates of those who consider themselves millennials to 1981 and not 1983. And I am a 1983 baby. So when I was looking this information up, boy, was I distraught to find out that the people I had been mocking and ridiculing all of this time was me. And so I get a taste of my own medicine. I jest. I don't really put down. I mean, we all kind of put them in a little bit. Let's be honest. Um, but I was doing some research on influencers. And I was like, I don't even know. I'm 38 years old. I have no idea what an influencer is. I'm going to be honest. And so then I began to look up that it's kind of, it's something that millennials look up to, right? Like they don't do things on their own anymore. We look to others. We look to examples of people. And then we make decisions based on that. So I had to, uh, in my kind of research of looking up what an influencer was, uh, I kind of was digging into some millennial stuff and noticed that millennials are the Gen Yers who were born from 1981 and onward. And I thought, uh-oh, that's, that's me. And I don't even know what an influencer is. And so I did a little bit more research on that. And so if you don't know, if you're like me and have no idea like what the heck I'm talking about when I talk about influencers, uh, it's these people who have amassed these incredible followings on social media. And, I'm, and I don't mean like, hey, you've got a few thousand people. You have millions of followers. And not only do you have millions of people who follow you on social media, but then companies and brands, they pay you money to talk about their stuff or to wear their clothing or to post their website, whatever. So I was like, who are these people? Why did I go into ministry? And I want to become one. And so I started to do some research. Now, there's a difference between celebrity and influencer. Like celebrities, they have already amassed a whole bunch of followers because of who they are. But this new kind of celebrity called the influencer are people who are just happen to be born good looking, really. Let's just be honest. They have good genetics and they get all of these people who follow them and then they become celebrities. But why? It's because they have this huge following and then these companies will give them insane amounts of money 
to wear their product or to talk about their brand or whatever. And so I had to look up some of these people. I don't know a person on that screen. None of them. Who are you? I don't know. And I didn't even look it up because I, I didn't want to feel bad about myself. So I was just like, okay, these are the people who made the influencers and made the most money, I think, in 2021. I don't know any of them, but I do know that they have millions of followers, incredible influence, and they get paid $180,000 per post. It's not like in a year. It's like the company asks me to wear like their tank top, which you would never do. You would never ask me to wear a tank top, ever. But they would ask me to wear their clothing, and they would give me hundreds of thousands of dollars every time I did it. And the, these influences, these people have like PR people who like vet all of the stuff and say like, I think this would be a good thing for you to post. I think this would be a not great thing, whatever, whatever. It's like, this is incredible. And so there's something to be said about influence, especially in, I guess, my generation, the millennials, there's something to be said about the influence that people give us. And so as I was talking to Holy Spirit this week and reading our Palm Sunday text, I couldn't get my head around the amount of influence in this text. And so if you've got a Bible, I would love for you to turn to John chapter 12. We're going to be there in a moment. If you want to open up your YouVersion app and go to events, you can find C Road there and you can follow along with our text there. But John chapter 12, we're going to be there in a few moments. But here's what makes these influencers so significant. Is that because of their, celeb their, their celebrity, because of their, um, their, their, their following, they can advocate certain things and see an end to it. They can make some money. Good for them. And so in a, in a sense, they celebrate what they advocate. And so they have people telling them what they should and shouldn't be promoting. And so they advocate certain things and then celebrate them on their social media. And that's what I want us to keep in mind today as we look into John 12, is that we must celebrate what we advocate. As followers of Christ, assuming that you are, and if not, I hope that you will be. But as followers of Jesus, we have to learn to celebrate the things that we advocate and so let's look at John 12 together, starting at verse 12. This is what it says. It says, the next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city, and there was a large crowd of Passover visitors. Now, why does this mean anything to us? Why do we care about the amount of people? Well, it's all, again, it comes down to influence. And so, uh, Jerusalem was probably a city of probably maybe millions of people, huge city. Um, and because Passover was happening, Jews from outside provinces began to come into the city in herds. Like, if not hundreds of thousands of people were, were coming from outside provinces into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover together. 
So all of these Jewish people were coming from Samaria. They were coming from Galilee, where Jesus was from. These Jews were coming in, and there was a clogging the streets with all of these people. Like all the snowbirds were coming home to Jerusalem to come and celebrate Passover. It it was almost like it became a, a vacation spot for a week. And Passover is a week-long celebration, and all the Jewish people celebrated it together. And so all of these people were coming in, and so uh, we just get the sense that it was crowded, that it was busy, that it was loud, that there was a crazy commotion going on. So that's the first thing. That's the first reason why it was super busy. The second is this. About a week before this, Before this text that we're reading, Jesus raised his friend Lazarus out of his tomb. And and we know that in chapters 11 and 12 before this, that there were some eyewitnesses who saw this happen, who saw Jesus call his friend Lazarus out of the tomb, and the dude came walking through with all his, like, funeral linens on. And, of course, when you see something like that, you can't help but tell people, right? Right? You can't help but tell people when you see something as miraculous as someone being raised from the dead. And so not only that, but we all know about Jesus' ministry here on earth. The healings, the exorcisms, right? The transformation, the way in which he related to people. And so all of this combined created this huge commotion in Jerusalem. They heard that Jesus was coming, and the people were already there. This is is the perfect spot for someone who has a little bit of reputation like Jesus did, who's got some fame to his name, to be able to influence people into what was coming. Jesus was stirring up his influence. Let's go to verse 13. It says, a large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet Jesus. Jesus. And they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. And our team read that scripture from Psalm 118. And it says, Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy in Zechariah 9 that I already read to you. Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. So this is, there's some interesting things happening here. Uh, palm branches were sim- symbolic of victory and symbolic of peace. And so that's why they begin to wave them as Jesus comes in because they see him as the guy who's going to free them and make Israel uh, uh, like the one top nation again. And so they see Jesus and, and they equate him with victory and with peace. But what is significant about what the people were saying, you got to remember that the streets now are filled with Jewish people who know their scripture, who know the Torah in and out, probably better than we do. And so they recognize prophetic things happening when they're happening because they understand God's word. The Torah was the basically what we would call the Old Testament. Jewish people knew that in and out. They recognized things. And of course, all these, all these years, they've been looking for the Messiah. They've been looking for the Prince of Peace, the King to come riding in on a donkey to bring them uh, 
their, their nation to become the one true nation again, God's people. And so here we see a reference to Psalm 118, and the people get it. They say, Hosanna, Hosanna. That's why we're singing it this morning. Took us all back 15 years in our worship. Amen? The people know it. They, they see it. And so they reference Psalm 18, and they say, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And then Jesus comes in riding on a donkey, and they go, this looks familiar. This looks kind of like what Zechariah said would happen 400 years ago. This, this guy riding in on donkey, who's going to bring us peace? Go to verse 16. It says his disciples didn't even understand it at the time. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this prophecy from Zechariah 9 was a fulfillment. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. It is sometimes we see something being fulfilled. We see God's promise happening right in front of us, but it doesn't meet our expectations. So we have these certain expectations about what God can do and will do and when he should do it and how he'll do it. And not even the disciples recognized right away, oh, the donkey. Who rides donkeys for fun? Nobody. You only ride a donkey when you're fulfilling prophecy. I'm sure that's somewhere in here. And so they don't even get it until later. But for all you English nerds out here, this is something that we call dramatic irony. Dramatic irony is when we, the reader, know something that the characters do not know. And we know that Jesus, he's riding in, and soon after the, our text today, it said, we all know that the one verse, Jesus wept. It's because he knew what was coming. And we as readers know what's happening next Sunday or next Friday. But then again, we know what's happening Sunday. This is dramatic irony. We know something that the characters don't. We know that Jesus is going to give his life. But he's not the political ruler that the people were hoping for. These people saw Jesus riding in. They're like, all right, this is our guy. He must be him. Hosanna. They begin to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then a few days later, they are the same people who end up shouting, crucify him, crucify him, because there's expectations versus a reality. And their expectation was that Jesus was a political ruler, but really he came as a humble servant. Some of the people were shouting, Hosanna, and then five days later, they're shouting, crucify him, crucify him. See, if we want to advocate for God to work and move and transform and challenge and convict and stir up revolution and revival, we must celebrate and not deviate from God's promises, even when we don't understand it. See, we must celebrate what we advocate, even when things change, even when our circumstances are dire, when our situation does not meet our expectations we must celebrate what we advocate. And if we truly advocate a king here on earth who has already done the work for us, we have to celebrate that. That is what God is asking us to do, to celebrate the things that we advocate. 
Let's go to verse 17. It says, many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead. And get this, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason that so many went out to meet Jesus, because they had heard about his miraculous sign. See, Jesus was the OG influencer, right? He's got his following. These people are not just coming in the city to celebrate, but they're coming into the city, probably non-Jewish people too, because they heard about Jesus and the incredible influence that he's begun to have on people. And Jesus knows what he's doing. As he comes in and he sees the people and they're waving their palm branches and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, please come save us. He, he begins, he's amassing all of these people. It's his influence. But no one's paying him $108,000 for a post. Later on, he cries and says, they don't get it yet. But they were telling other people about it. They, they came to see him because they knew about this miraculous sign. See, if Jesus has saved you, if he's transformed you, if he's healed you or changed you in any way, I hope you tell others about it. That's what we see happening here. There's been incredible life change and transformation, and people begin to talk about it. And so if we are people who celebrate what we advocate, are we still people who, like Pastor Daniel said, do we still only have Jesus on our lips? Do we take the credit for the change and the, the transformation and the healing in our lives? Or do we give that credit to Jesus where it belongs? See, in every season of our life, we need to be able to point to Jesus as being the person who sets it all in motion. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have this incredible news to share. And some of us are too shy. I don't know what to say. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what the consequences will be. I can tell you what the consequences would be with people who don't know Jesus. And it's not fun. And so in a city of, I don't know, 22, 23,000 people, and even more beyond that, Let's, let's say maybe, I don't know, 2,000 go to church. Maybe 2,000 would be people who profess to have a relationship with Jesus. That's a lot of people who haven't heard your story yet. If you truly advocate life change and transformation and healing and what Jesus offers, you need to celebrate it. And you need to celebrate it with your own story. Like the people did in verse 17, we need to tell others about it. We don't know how much time we have left. We don't know what kind of opportunities are going to come in the future. And as we're here at the beginning of Holy Week, this is the best time ever to begin to tell the story about what God has done in your life. There's no better time than this. Because when you tell your story of what God has done in your own life, people will be curious. I mean, it's right here in verse 17. People are curious. And are, are all those people going to come to faith? I don't know. Maybe not. But they'll tell other people about it. They'll see what God has done. They'll see it in your own life. 
and they'll come and see what God is doing. You must celebrate what you advocate. If you advocate for life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ, you better celebrate it. Even the Pharisees knew that this was the most important message ever. They, even they recognized his, his greatest, Jesus' greatest enemies. Even they knew that there was something up with Jesus. This is what it says in verse 19. And the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. In other words, we don't have any more influence. They're admitting that Jesus has all the influence. And so what do they do? They decide to plot and kill him and Lazarus. They recognize that Jesus is amassing all of this influence because who he is and what he does and what he's here to accomplish. So they plot to kill him. Because time is running out. There are people who don't know Jesus in our communities. And it's on us. It's our job to begin to tell people what Jesus can do and has done in our life. They admit that they've lost influence. We have to celebrate what we advocate. And if you advocate for Jesus in the church of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in our broken and hurting world, we, ha we have to celebrate him. And this is the best week, like I said, to do so. is the beginning of Holy Week. Next Sunday, we're going to give a gospel message about all that Jesus has done and what it means to follow Jesus into new life and new resurrection. And it'll be the most important thing that anyone can ever hear in their life. And how are they going to get here? I mean, we can invite people all we want until we're blue in the face. But until you begin to celebrate the things that you advocate and say, this is what God has done in my life. This is what I believe God can do in your life. Until we are bold enough to step into those things, I don't know how people are going to hear it. We live in a culture where people aren't flocking to church anymore. Like it or not. It's on us. This is why he's left us the Holy Spirit to guide us and work in us and move in us and transform us and coax us in to telling people about what God has done in each of our lives. And if we're quiet, the seats get more and more empty. And look, we as a staff, we don't care about attendance and numbers. Regardless of what you might think, I don't care how many people come to Easter services next week. I care about how many people who need to hear about Jesus hear a life-changing, soul-saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we have friends and family members who need to hear it. And sometimes we're too shy to tell them what, what God is doing. Or we don't have the words I don't know how we accomplish it. But this week is the best week to be able to bring people to church. I hate inviting people to church because when you invite someone to church, it gives them the option to say, no thanks. Why don't you tell somebody, listen, I'll pick you up at your house. 8.45, be there for the 9 o'clock service. And they say, that's way too early. You say, great, we have an 11 o'clock service. Look, and I'm not promoting Easter. I'm, I'm promoting that you reach out to people who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Because if you're not willing to do it yourself, bring them here, we'll do it, and then you can disciple them into a a life-giving life with Jesus. We have to celebrate the things that we advocate because all the time we say what God is doing in and around us and we sing these great songs. But then when it comes down to get to the hard part of the gospel, it's like, I'll let someone else do it. And maybe that works. I don't know. But I know that each of you who call Jesus Savior have a story to share with someone who needs to hear it. This is what it says in 1 John 2. This is John writing. He says, I'm writing to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the world, of all the world. Jesus didn't come for the people who just come to church. He came for the people who are not here this morning. And they have no idea. And I don't want to get people here to church to fill our seats. That's not what I care about. But if I know that we're talking about Jesus and what he can do in their lives and how he can change them and transform them, I want them to hear that. That is the greatest news that you have to share is that Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous, he himself is the sacrifice that atones for sins. It's the greatest news. But we have to be willing to celebrate what God has done through the blood of Christ, to advocate for freedom from sin and despair and shame through Jesus, to walk in the ways of Jesus by the leading leading of the Holy Spirit. We continue on, verse 3. It says, we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey his commandments, that person is a liar and not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living for him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives like Jesus did. If you want to know how to celebrate what you advocate, there it is. This is the gospel of Jesus. Live like Jesus did. We need to advocate for life change and celebrate holiness and promote promise and defend goodness. That's what God has asked us to do as a church. And so there are two challenges I think that we can walk away from with this text. It's not that you try to build up your influence on social media. Although if you can make $108,000 per post, God bless you, please tithe. (laughs) You heard it here first, so we got to get some credit. There's two things I think that we can do this week. Share your story with someone. Someone needs to hear about it. I don't know who it is. Jesus will tell you who. But the best thing that you can do to advocate the gospel is to tell your story and bring people to church. To hear the gospel message on Easter morning. Because the rest of this series about what it means to follow Jesus in every season of our life, really it all starts from Easter. We can understand what it means to grieve because of how Jesus taught us to grieve. 
We can understand what it means to have doubts and faith crises and have skepticism in our hearts. Following Jesus can help us understand that through what happens in Easter. So this week, tell somebody about what God has done in and around your life. And then bring them to church. Or, and if you have to, invite them, I guess. Because we want people who need Jesus to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Here's the other thing that we can do. Is that we can celebrate here in this moment. We can celebrate the things that we can advocate, that we advocate here, now. That's the whole point of why we gather as a church, as a community, is to celebrate. This this is what worship is. It's, It's celebrating the God who has paid that ultimate price for us. Is the God who can teach us how to live in every season of our life, in every circumstance, in every situation that arises. That is the God who we celebrate. And so it's not just about telling our story. It's about what we do when we gather. And sometimes we're like, uh, not this song again. Or, I'm not sure I like this one. This isn't my favorite. Oh, I like this song. Maybe I'll sing for a change. Like, it's not, it's not what celebration is. Regardless of the song or the tempo or the volume or the instruments or who's leading this week, we serve a God who has changed lives and healed bodies. And if we aren't willing to celebrate it, the people out there are not going to either. And so our challenge for you is that we celebrate together. And we, when we celebrate, we, we echo what the people in John 12 say. We say, all hail King Jesus. What that means is that you're putting him in a throne that you're trying to sit on yourself sometimes. Celebrating and worshiping is us getting off of the throne and putting him on it where he belongs. This is true celebration. Is to see Jesus sitting at the throne of our lives and at the throne of every other life who doesn't know him yet. That is true celebration. And when we can sing all hail King Jesus, when we can say, Hosanna, Hosanna, please come save us. When we can get to the point where we desperately need him, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of those who don't know him, then he's like, yes, okay. I see that hand. And so church, we need to be people who celebrate. Even in the hard times, You can't be someone who, okay, I'm going to get a little deep here. You can't be someone who, let's say, is pro-choice and then not celebrate every life that comes into this earth. You can't say that you're pro-choice, but also don't care if people get put in an electrocution chair. You have to celebrate what you advocate. You can't say you're one thing and then not celebrate the other half of it. And it's hard, I get it. Like, and I'm not trying to guilt trip anyone. But the message of Jesus is something that we have to celebrate. We can't say that we just like the church thing, and I give to the church thing, and it's useful for me, and it keeps my kids busy for 90 minutes. We need to celebrate the things that Jesus has done, is doing, and wants to continue to do through your story. And so we can do that 
Starting now, challenge on, I don't know. But let me pray for us. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for myself. As we try to figure out what that means for us as individuals, what does it mean for me to celebrate, to put Jesus on the throne where he belongs? God, I've said a lot of words, and they mean absolutely nothing without the conviction of your Holy Spirit. And I don't know what this means for us. I don't know what this means for me. I don't know what it means for each of these people here. But God, get us off the throne. Lord, help us. God, may our expectations never meet reality because we know that your reality is far better than our expectations anyway. And so, Lord Jesus, help us. Help us celebrate you better, even when life is hard and sticky and, hard and, and things don't go our way. God, we just ask that you would change us and challenge us and transform us to be the people that you've created us to be, a church that celebrates life change, that celebrates life in general. God, that you would help us find the people who need Jesus. And so that, like it says in verse 17, everybody will talk about it and everybody will share it. And it's the name of Jesus Christ. We all agreed and said,